0: Good evening and welcome to another episode of the DFWTO podcast. I'm your host, Casper. And I'm your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays, even though it's Tuesday. Because... <laughs> because...
1: Sometimes Tuesdays are for podcasts. Guys, you know we've got the holiday coming up, so... Uh... We usually record the day before because of family and whatnot. But um Which actually funny. It's we're releasing this on Tuesday,
0: but it's actually Sunday right yeah, now. Yeah. So we're actually <laughs> recording Sunday. So we're all over
1: the place. <laughs> um, but we have got a special guest that we told you guys about and hopefully you've had time by now to watch the Andy Baker tape. Guys, uh we have got Brett and I am so sorry. You please pronounce your last name because I don't want to butcher it's, it.
2: It's, it's simple. It's easy. Everyone gets it wrong. Don't feel bad. It's Lada. 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 Guys, we've got
1: Brett Lada, who is Jeff Blake in the Andy Baker tape. Thank you so much, Brett, for hey, joining us. thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to be here this morning. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, So first question we usually ask off the bat is um, what is your, and if you can't narrow it down to one, I totally get it, but what is your favorite? favorite horror movie or if you can't pick one horror movie genre or you can even go as far as uh, like if there's a series you like?
2: Yeah, that's such a good question. I I see so many films. I will tell you probably my my most horrifying film experience was being in the movie theaters for 28 weeks later, the second one. I saw that, I think I was a junior in high school when that came out and I just remember having such a pit of dread in my stomach when the snipers were shooting at like when the if you if you're familiar with the movie, there's it's about a zombie outbreak and it happens again in the UK and the US governments in there trying to control everything. And when the outbreak happens again, it's the soldiers that are trying to stop the zombies from breaking out, but there's also civilians running around. Yes. And they can't decipher who is who and it's just this mass massacre. And it was so disturbing and upsetting to me and then from then on that movie just is like a non-stop barrage of intensity and i think that could be my favorite and my best horror experience although when i did see the ring for the first time i know it's cliche (laughs) i saw it by myself that kept me up for for a few days (laughs) you know i was i went through you know the the ring freaked me out too
0: could could you say that it kept you up for Seven days. Oh my god.
2: <laughs> spot on. Spot on. <laughs> <laughs> i like wake up in the night and just have the, like the light on in my room. I remember that. And then the weird I remember I went to go see paranormal activity when I was in college.
1: Oh wow, yeah. And at
2: the time I lived in a studio by myself.
0: Oh my and god and
2: as I got home from the movie theater, I'm laying in bed, it's pitch black and I'm not I'm not lying, not exaggerating. My TV just started sparking out of nowhere. It scared the hell out of me. So I remember, the, the <laughs> movie, you know, it's like, I, it was not, I was not like lucid dreaming. It happened. I was freaked out the entire night.
1: Oh my God. That reminds I, would, of, I would probably have a heart attack right
2: then and there. I was, yeah, house no, it freaked me out. I just remember the entire night. I was like, kind of like gazing out my window. And I, you know, the movie ends where the wife you know, you, she's obviously possessed, and she's just wandering around, and i was like, looking out my window, like, imagine the wife just wandering around my campus. No. Just, you know? I, I freaked myself out with that one.
0: Like, is Katie coming for me? Yeah, please <laughs> no. Yeah. Is
2: that her um, name, Katie? Yeah, uh, right, it is Katie. Yeah, it's Katie. yeah, it's Katie.
0: Yeah, it's Katie. Um, that reminds me, when I went to go see The Conjuring, um, in theaters, which was, like, the first time I finally was, like, a horror movie scared me in theaters. Um... I was house-sitting, so I was by myself, oh. and I woke up at 3.06 in the awesome. morning, cool. and I was, I laid cool. there with my eyes agape for, like, 10 minutes, because I was like, once it hits 3.07, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna <laughs> die, like, Bathsheba's yeah. coming.
2: <laughs> you, you know, I feel like these things, these things happen. I used to get sleep paralysis. I don't
0: know. Oh,
1: no. Oh,
2: it's, no. It's not cool when you have it, <laughs> I'll tell you that, but uh, I remember when I went to go see The Grudge. And we all stayed on, on my friends, like one with a bunch of my friends in high school, and we stayed on his in his basement. I remember falling asleep, and I was laying on the ground, and I had sleep paralysis. And I remember waking up, and all I could see out of the peripheral vision of the corner of my eye was a hand crawling past me on the ground. And they say when you have sleep paralysis, like you could be like potentially dreaming too. But I remember just being there, trying to move, trying to scream, and I couldn't. And this hand was just like going past me. But I used to get sleep paralysis a lot. It always, it always, it always freaks me out.
1: I've only ever talked to one other person that had it. And it was a uh, ex-boss, a guy, a manager at a place I worked at. And uh, it was kind of the same thing. He doesn't have it anymore, but uh, had it at the time. And it was like very similar, like how real it feels in the moment
2: it absolutely feels real and it's just such a weird sensation because you wake up and all your senses are there but you can't move you can't scream and i don't know if it's just like a general sense of unease but every time i have sleep paralysis you you know something's off so there's just a general sense of unease and a little bit of you know and i think like you're still kind of like You know, I think you still could be like potentially dreaming in there. I don't know, but every time I have it, it's such an uncomfortable feeling. And knock on wood, I haven't had it in a while. Watch, I'm going to have it tonight. I'm talking about it. No, I'm
1: knocking. I'm knocking on. uh, Currently, we're on a wooden desk, so I'm I'm knocking away for you. (laughs) All all the (laughs) night. I'm putting it out in the universe. Leave
0: him alone. (laughs) Leave him alone. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. So,
1: um. You know, I'm sure to our listeners, it's probably, you know, me and Casper were just saying how wild it is to hear your voice because, you know, the majority of the film, we hear your voice. You know, Jeff is front and center. Um, So I have so far now seen the movie about three or four times. And it's I the last time I watched it, I watched it with my husband. And it's it's interesting when you watch a movie with someone. Who it just you just get a completely different perspective, sure, sure of of a film, and he he really enjoyed it. I mean that was one thing that we both uh, agreed upon for the fact that it was filmed in such a you know it's during the 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 panorama the dreaded C word, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so there's like all of that going on on top of the fact that you know found footage and everything and just so many things, but then it just fit so right in so many places. Um I also
0: love the reference to COVID
1: in the film. Oh, I love it. I love I that. love it. Yeah, where I mean, Andy's yeah. like, well, I just got COVID tested, thank like
2: thank you for, for for watching it. The COVID reference, we really debated if we should <laughs> make it timely and say that or not. So we just had one we just wanted we didn't want to do we had to do like a mask when we were at one of the restaurants. Yes. But besides that, we debated how to you know, because people are going to watch the movie back. And be like, Well, this is 2020. Where are the masks? So we just threw in that one line at the beginning just to make it uniform for, mm-hmm. you know, for the year of 2020. But we didn't want it to be dominated by the idea it was COVID. I will say, though, that having it be COVID helped us with a lot of the restaurants. Because we couldn't actually eat inside at the, at the time. Right. We were all eating in the parking lots. But that allowed us to not have to show brand trademarks. You know, we didn't show the restaurant names in a lot of places besides a few that gave us permission. And since we're in the parking lot, we can kind of get away, and it also works for the year 2020. So COVID actually, I feel like, served us in doing that. And a lot, I mean, we did this on such a micro budget. You know, we were both unemployed actors at the top of the pandemic, and we're like, what can we do just to stay busy? A lot of the hotels that we used, we got for like $35 a night. You know, oh, we used wow. a bunch in Atlantic City. We used some in South Jersey, and nobody was staying in hotels at that point. We got all of those for $35 a night. We're left alone. No one bothered us. We could just shoot, get our stuff done, and get out.
1: Oh, that's wild. That is wild. That's $35 awesome. $35 a
0: night. Wow, and it's like $135. That's like a night taking now. it way, <laughs> way back.
2: Yeah, everyone was just – I mean, one of them was in a casino. I won't say the casino's name in Atlantic City. The other one, which is the turning point of the film, which is when Andy and Jeff have, like, the big blowout in the parking lot. If you haven't seen it, I don't want to ruin anything. That one is on this weird road in Upseekin, which leads to Atlantic City. There's about 20 hotels out there, and those hotels are probably for, you know, people that are leaving Atlantic City to do whatever they do when they leave a casino with whoever they meet. I'll say that. And uh, we were the least conspicuous people there, running around the parking lot, naked in towels. In a towel. That one, we actually had an audience of people watching us do that. People were trying to figure out what was going on. But it was certainly a drug hotel. It was was a weird situation. We didn't know we were going to shoot there that night, and we drove up and down these hotels just trying to find one that was well lit up. And that parking lot had LED lights that were just blasting in the middle. And because we weren't professionally lighting to make it look like it was, you know, well lit, we wanted we wanted the proper ambient lights so you could actually see the action of what was going on. Dustin and I, who plays Andy in the film, we just drove past it we were like, this is the spot, and, and we shot there.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, that's amazing, though. Hmm. Like, to kind of have that happen out of nowhere and luckily nothing crazy happened but
2: yeah yeah well that's the thing we we did this all guerrilla style and right things obviously you know things did go wrong we had police show up on set thinking we were actually fighting people at some of the farms didn't realize what was going on you know we talked to everyone about it once we told the police that we were shooting a found footage film they were like oh this is great we'll tell everyone what's going on they were super (laughs) cool about it you know we told them like we're making this this food network version of blair witch project just to have something quick to say and we, we got away with that. It was it was in the, the scene when Jeff and when Andy is calling, quote, unquote, his um, connection to get the car fixed. And yeah. he's to freak out and he punches the wall. Yes. That's where a bunch of cops showed up <laughs> over in Tom's River. And they were like, we're here and you guys are fighting. What's going on? And we let them know what was actually happening. And we uh, we got away with it. There was another farm that we shot at in the beginning. It's when uh, Jeff and Andy meet for the first time and they're eating the turkey sandwiches and they're talking, kind of bonding. And that's connected to this restaurant in New Jersey that I love. It's this old school 1950s turkey place called Hinks Turkey Farm. I've been going there since I was a kid. It's just like classic sandwiches, great mac and cheese, very 50s and BOD. And there was a farm next to it and we couldn't shoot inside Kings for a few reasons. One is that they have radio music playing. So there would be copyright music in the background. Number two, we didn't have the permission and we also had to take our masks off and it was COVID. So we went to the farm, which was behind it. The pickup truck pulls up. Well, here, here, here's going to make the story crazy. So, New Jersey is flooded with 5G towers. 5G towers are all over the place. And that cuts through the audio on the microphones. So, we get outside, and we're, we have about $100 worth of food. The sun's going down, and we're trying to shoot. And all we hear is buzzing through the microphone. Oh so, at goodness. first, I was like, did, did we break the microphone? What is going on? And then I look behind Inks Turkey Farm, and there's a gigantic 5G tower. So we're like, what do we do? We have to figure this out. How can we actually capture audio that won't be ruined? So there was a giant dumpster, you know, this giant steel dumpster. We flipped the dumpster on its side. We tucked the camera inside there to block the frequency. And then we wrapped, we had a bunch of copper cables in the back of Dustin's car at the time. And we wrapped them all around the camera to make a makeshift Faraday cage put water bottles on top of it and that actually insulated the microphone from having that 5g tower destroy the audio problem was that it was like 80 degrees that day and that dumpster on its side was just reeking of the trash that was in there but we needed to get the shot done we had all this food and we wanted to finish it and as soon as we start filming a pickup truck pulls up and the guy's like what are you guys doing and uh, I, we said, oh, we're making a YouTube video. It's, we're food bloggers. We went to Hanks. He goes, you went to Hanks? I said, yeah. And I said, I grew up around here. I'm a local. I'm just trying to give a little homage to this. And he goes, where'd you go to high school? And I said, Point Pleasant Beach. And he said, do you know so-and-so? I said, I do. I went to school with them, And I, I truly did. So I know his brother, too. And he goes, those are my nephews. I said, oh, great, great, great. And because we had that back and forth, he said, You can shoot in this property, just put everything back when you're done, and don't show don't show any signs that say what this is. I said, We got you, serve one hundred percent. So we had a lot of happy accidents like that happen and the entire shoot though was guerrilla warfare, to say the least.
0: I love hearing that. I'm just so like awesome. sitting here enjoying all the story time. I'm like, just tell us more.
1: What? Like, <laughs> this is, well, I, I mean, another this is the greatest part about these kind of, uh, you know, but I think that's what we just to interject like really quick. Uh, Casper and I are huge fans of found footage films. So yes. I think just when you get to hear little behind the scenes of how things like this happen, especially when it's, a low budget found footage film, it just, I, I feel like now when we go back and watch it and I'm, I'm sure to our listeners as well, it's like, it just adds a whole nother element to the film. Knowing knowing these like little behind the scenes stories. So this is, this is awesome. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, and that was the thing too, is we made a lot of mistakes that this, this was truly, I I've only worked as an actor in the past. I, I helped produce the feature in 2018 You know, a a true narrative though, not shot, not not shot and found footage style. Um, And I worked as like a story editor on that, and I helped the editing a lot. But I actually bought my first camera right at the top of the pandemic. I came off of a short film that won the Academy Award, and then I got a grant through Screen Actors Guild, and it was I should have put it towards the rent in my apartment, but I didn't, and I uh, I just got a, a basic camera to figure out how to shoot. So. I was in New York, it was locked down, Then my, my partner at the time was my neighbor. So we were shooting some short films and just learning how to use a camera. And then Dustin and I collaborated for the film, and we start, we started producing a few shorts together just like writing and scripting things out, and we had a good you know, working rapport together. And we wrote the script over the summer and we took it on the road in October. So at that point, I had about six six months total of camera experience, maybe five. And there were things that I knew, and I spent a lot of time studying and learning. But there were a lot of things that I didn't know. And I didn't go to school for cinematography. I went to school for acting, and I studied acting for the last 10 years. And it's an entirely different medium. So to learn – you know, we learned a lot on the fly. We made a lot of mistakes and some things we had to go back and reshoot, but that's also just part of – that's just part of the process, and in hindsight, you know, have if I would have had the knowledge that I have now about how to do things, I'm sure we could have ultimately had a, you know, there's things that we would have maybe done differently, there's things that we wouldn't have done differently, but all in all, it was just, a, it was a great learning curve for us. The other crazy story I'll tell you is that in we shot in the pine barrens for some things. And the Pine Barrens, that's where the Jersey Devils known to be, and there are military bases that are hidden and scattered all over the place. And we – there's a few scenes or in the beginning where Jeff and Andy are driving in a car, and they're having kind of a back-and-forth dialogue. And we're like, you know what, if we want to do this right, we need to find like an abandoned road or somewhere where we're not worried about oncoming traffic and where we can actually focus on the acting and not be afraid that we're going to have a car accident. So we drove out to the Pine Barrens, and there's tons of abandoned dirt roads back there, tons of roads that just lead to the middle of nowhere, but they all kind of circle back to these, like, hidden military bases. So we ended up finding this dirt road, and there were signs all over the front of the road that said, don't enter here, but they were posted on forest streets. And there's this road that went back, I would say, miles, miles into the forest. So it's a straight shot. Dustin and I were like, this is perfect. We can use this. We shot, I would say, four or five hours, all these scenes, you know, of like getting all the dialogue, getting everything done. And then close to the end, after we got most of it, a military convoy just starts driving down, stops us. And, you know, it was like, it was right out of the movies where. The window rolls down. It's a steely-eyed, you know, military colonel wearing aviator glasses. It was like, what the hell are you guys doing here? And we said, oh, you know, we're trying, trying to shoot. We're just shooting a blog video. He goes, D- didn't you see the no trespassing signs? And there's like five, there's like five humpies here and a white thing. And we said, we thought that was from Forest part. We thought this was an open road. We're so sorry. And they basically kicked us off. But we got the shot. So, it you know, as long as you get the shot – and no one's hurt, I think that that was, our, that was our motto for this. It's like, we just have to figure out the ways to get the shot and get out without getting arrested or shot, and he did it. Hey,
0: that's that would all that, be terrifying, though. That's literally like all that
1: matters, but that would <laughs> that would probably scare the hell out of me. I'd I be mind. like, oh,
0: shit. Oh, shit, but we got yeah, the shot. It was, <laughs>
2: it was just, we, we, yeah, it's, I mean, we were, I think that they clearly saw that we weren't lying, since we had a camera rig with us, you know, we had we had a few just like basic lights, and we were, you know, the fact that we weren't, we, you know, it's like we didn't have anything that we were doing nasty, but yeah, I was like, we just said we're shooting this this blood film, we just want to get out of here, and then they kind of let us go. So it it probably could have been worse. And i'm sure if you're trespassing on a military base which we weren't at the point right. who knows what who knows what that led back to i don't know and i probably will never find out but it i'm there i'm sure there was something weird that was back in the middle of the woods that they were trying to keep the secret that we were pretty close to that could be the subject of my next movie
0: i was gonna say that sounds like a movie in itself that sounds yeah <laughs> well they,
2: they made that one found footage film what the guy that did paranormal activity what's his name? Orrin Pelley. Is that right? Yeah. That one area 51 where there's a bunch of people that sneak into area 51. Kind of similar, kind of similar to that, but yeah. who? who, I I don't know what's back there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess the only thing I can compare, I, we have done a podcast episode about, uh, the Jersey devil. And I guess the only thing I can compare is my husband and I went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia for the, we went to like the The Mothman museum. yeah. Yeah. The Mothman. And, uh, the area around where the purported sightings were, I mean, that's some pretty dense, dense forest. And it was kind of the same thing. It was like an old uh, TNT factory and like some of the old buildings are still there. But to get to it, you have to go so deep into the woods. And at the time it was in June and it was a lot of mosquitoes. So that deterred me enough, not not even so much. Mothman, I just didn't want to get, devoured sure, yeah. by mosquitoes but oh, i'm
2: going to tell you something crazy my hometown in new jersey is called point pleasant
1: oh wow hey um, you know I'm what you said the high hometown. school that's when right when you said
0: point pleasant high school i was like i thought he was from jersey like, <laughs> like my brain like short-circuited i'm like know,
2: that's... I'm, from, I'm from i'm from point pleasant beach and there's point pleasant borough those that was like our rival school but you know when uh, when Mothman came out, I remember being oh, quite pleasant. And then so I, I I know you know I I, I really like that film when it came out too, the Mothman prophecies. It's a so that, that was a that great film. It yeah, was well, good, yeah. It's really, I mean, Richard Gere's great. The movie's just really well done.
1: So one of the biggest questions I had was um, because you've mentioned several times, like to kind of uh, sort of get out of sticky situations with people, just by saying real quick, like yeah, I'm just shooting this. YouTube food blog is that uh is that sort of like where kind of the initial initial idea of the movie came from was just to sort of make it easier to shoot by telling people that it's just like this is a YouTube well, food blog that's um <laughs> or maybe part well, of it.
2: We, we first when we first decided that we were going to shoot something originally we were just going to do a documentary about us it, you know it was a super charged year as far as everyone being locked down, and I thought that the political climate of the United States, it was just, we were just like absolutely splintered. So we were going to do this kind of mockumentary, like this heart of darkness American story, where we're driving to the center of the country, and things just get weirder and weirder, and we're two guys from whatever. And we were going to kind of not script it and just see what we could get out of there, do like a two-week road trip together and see what came out. You know, Dustin's one of my best friends from college, so we were just itching to do something out of the norm. And then when we realized that if we were actually going to do something worthwhile, we had to figure out something a little bit more structured than that. And the food blogger thing came out of the fact that the YouTube thing is just we needed a reason to have the camera rolling the entire time. That's always the trick with found footage. Yes. How do you have the camera constantly going? Uh, We were trying to figure out different vehicles just to get us in together and connected in the story. The food blogger aspect's never been tapped into. I am a foodie. I love food. I'm um, 6'3", all I do is eat, you know, I'm always hungry, uh, and then I just thought that that was kind of an interesting quirk to throw in there, and it also made it somewhat relevant with this kind of influencer culture that we're living in, and everyone is always trying to document things and keep things on, and Andy represents kind of the older values that aren't really into that, and it's just, you know, it's the sun versus the moon, the classic stories. So that is how that came out, and then we decided that if we were going to do this right, we shouldn't actually, and it would probably serve us to not do it on a cross-country drive. You know, we should probably really focus, and we wrote the script. Dustin grew up pretty close to me in Freehold Township, and I'm from Point Pleasant Beach. So we both knew Jersey, and, you know, Dustin had family in Freehold, and at the time I was renting a beach house at the Jersey Shore, and I was able to have that as kind of a base camp, and we knew a lot of like the local. Jersey is really good for roadside food stops. You know, Jersey is. I feel like it gets a bad rap sometimes when people see shows like The Jersey Shore, which is the worst representation <laughs> of the Jersey Shore I can ever describe. And they see Newark Airport and they see North Jersey up there, and people don't realize how beautiful upstate state New Jersey is. Where it's yeah. just open farmland, you know, tons of T- you go to South Jersey. There's like Winall Winery. There's tons of great wineries. All these old buildings, Smithfield. These beautiful towns. There's so many places to be like, oh, we could go shoot there. And we had such a laundry list of places that we were like, we could go to for this film and shoot there. These great Jersey spots. And ultimately, it's not the film is truly really not about the food. That's just a vehicle to get into the the story about the brothers. Right. And we didn't really we didn't really make this to be a horror film. It was a psychological thriller and a relationship story, so we never really set out to be like we're going to make the scariest movie ever, which it's clearly not. That was never our goal. We just wanted to have a vehicle for Dustin and myself to, you know, connect again. We were best friends in college, to be able to act together, which was kind of a love letter to where we grew up, and... There are thriller and suspense elements to the movie, but it was never like how could we keep people awake till four in the morning? <laughs> that kind of vibe. Right.
1: I mean, but we uh, Casper and I are both big fans of. I mean, I sometimes those movies are some of the best. And I they like and they stick that with makes you. Me think you know, yeah, like
0: a good psychological. Psychological is my favorite horror genre. Anyway.
2: That's, right. where I, that's where I ask is, too, and I really enjoy the films that make you think about, like, well, wait, why, why did they do this? You know, I am I like puzzles and movies, and I, I I did watch so many found footage films in preparation for this. There's some that I really like. There's some, you know, you see what works. You see what doesn't work. For me, I find films that set out to scare you abruptly. You know, it's – they are good, and they are – they affect you. But there's, you kind of know something, I don't know, it's just, the ones, the final footage films that I like the most are the ones that leave questions unanswered, and I think that that's something in filmmaking too, and storytelling, you know, if you, it's like you you don't show the monster to halfway in, and you know, Jaws, they hardly, you hardly see the shark until halfway in, and that kind of old trope where, I feel like it's better to not really know what's going on, and let your mind do the tricks for you and let your mind freak you out. But I'm an observer of films. For me, it's never like the jump scares that get me. It's, it's the anticipation of what's going to happen. So it's knowing that something's going to happen, not knowing when it's going to happen and how is it going to happen. And that's something that we try to strive for in making this. And obviously, you know, that's like an old Hitchcock to try to keep that tension alive in ways that are more than just abruptly scaring people. But You know, at the end of the day, there's only so many directions that a two-hander story can go with giving it some kind of story arc that, you know, starts in one place and ends at another place. And we have to have some kind of journey for these guys, so it does have dark elements because we have to take them from the beginning to the end, and they have to go on this journey together, and it's kind of like the inevitable this is going to happen. you know we, we, we also say in our log line and you say at the top you know something is going to happen at the top of the film. That's kind of like a standard fan footage trope and we want right. to honor that. And we but it's just how is how is this going to go down and why does it go? Down? and why does it go down? So you know um, that was that, yeah that, that was our attack and that was our approach to making film.
0: It's funny that you say that too, because you're definitely not the first person to say that. Me and Becky have always said this. A movie is so much scarier when your imagination can run wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I personally really didn't like the Annabelle film, because I'm like, when you showed the demon, it completely shattered. Like the whole, the whole thing I built in my head, like an Annabelle creation, which was terrifying, but like they showed it. And I was like, "It's a man with a little gray beard, and he's a gray demon." And I'm like, "I'm," it took me completely out. And then there's paranormal activity. Yeah. You never see Toby. You never. Well, see at the, the time, demon. it wasn't yeah. Toby, but you never see the, the demon. demon. And I'm like, my brain's going to conjure up something way more terrifying than if you show it to me. I think that's always it the is, weird. That's, I, the, yeah, that's,
2: that's the the trick. It's it's how do you lead people. You know, it's like you want to open Pandora's box for people's yes. imagination, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to give people that fear and that suspense. And that's why I think, like, the end of The Blair Witch Project is so well done, you know, and it's shot from a way where it's just the camera's perspective and the camera's point of view. You never you never see anything, and what's I think the genius of that movie is... When you just kind of hear like the weird sounds in the woods, and you know something is chasing after them, and you don't really know what it is, and that's where that movie was really successful. Uh, you know, and they make the remake in two thousand sixteen, and you do see the Blair Witch at the end, and it kind of is like, ah, oh, you know, what I mean, like it's it's for me the first one is a little bit of, uh, just a classier film. I mean, Adam Weingart directed the second one, and he's you know obviously a, a great talented filmmaker, yes. but there's just something a little bit more and like but that's that I think was also the aesthetic of the Blair Witch Project. It was so minimal. And even the opening of the opening of the film, there's no sound. And it's just super ominous when they show the message that pops up and it's just eerie and creepy and it's understated. And the best films for me are the ones that are understated. When it comes to drama, when it comes to horror, when it comes to suspense. Yes it's just that fine tension that only masterful directors can do you know I it's funny uh, one of the films that I really gravitated towards when I was watching this is Willow Creek have you seen that
1: oh I love I Willow actually Creek. told her about Willow Creek oh. on the suggestion of uh uh it because if if people we've mentioned it so many times as most people know it's di- or if don't don't know it's directed by Bobcat goldthwaite yeah. and I found out about it. From uh, an old interview he did with Joe Rogan, and I and I'm like, yeah, yeah, Bobcat yeah. Goldthwait directed a Bigfoot movie, and me and my husband were both like, "What?" And then, you know, immediately found it, watched it, and were like, "I think this is the greatest Bigfoot movie I've I've ever seen."
2: It's so good. It's so good, and it's
1: it, incredible. It's
2: not. I mean, that, and I listened to him because I don't want to ruin it if people haven't seen it, but that scene in the tent at the end. Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> yeah. I
2: just remember watching that, and I was in such a level of suspense and like, what is going on? <sighs> you know, you're just so freaked out, and it's masterful. It could be the most suspenseful scene I've seen in a film in years, truly. I remember being freaked out. And then I listened to I listened to Bobcat I listened to a bunch of podcasts that he did or some yeah. interviews when that playing around. And he talked about how he was really trying to, you know, go after like Tarantino style filmmaking with that scene because Tarantino is able to just create a level of suspense and dialogue and close ups on people's face where there's not a ton of action but it's just you can you can cut that tension with a knife. And that's what that scene is in in Willow Creek when they're in that tent. It is it's a masterclass. It's a masterclass in in simplicity, tension, and letting your imagination run wild. So true, absolutely. Yeah. And
1: I'm of the age. I'm I'm 38, so I yeah. saw Blair Witch, the the original, in theaters. As a kid, yeah, me too, me too. And I just remember, you know, growing up as a '90s kid, we had kind of, we had sort of a strange dichotomy of horror films in the '90s. It was, you know, if you were a kid in the night you know, if you, if you, if that was like the genre you gravitated to, just in any aspect. And I think that's the great thing about horror is that there are like. There, there's so many different elements of horror. Like, thrillers can be horror. Jaws, is, Jaws, in my opinion, is a horror film. Silence of the Lambs, in my opinion, is a horror film. It's just different genres. And yeah. I think Blair Witch, like, tapped into something. And then, of course, the marketing in and of itself, you know, I've, I've so famously brilliant, told brilliant. so many times on this podcast, and again, in my defense, I was a child, and, you know, in internet and all that in, it, in its infancy. Um, I a thousand percent bought into it being real for like half a second yeah. i mean i really I'm, I'm 13 you know i'm like oh my god this is totally real <laughs> like,
2: this, yeah, this this, I,
1: totally I, happened <laughs> it,
2: it was and that's what i mean it's you know to go back to like films like cannibal holocaust which was probably like the first major found footage film I, right i that they were going to arrest the director and charge a thousand murder percent for all the actors and that, that and it was a snuff so, film though people were just not used to it and it was shot in such a realistic way and the my and honestly this this might make me sound like a Quaker the only fault I have with Blair Lich is because it's improv when they go around like they say I don't want to curse in your podcast but they say, They said they have word so many times. And that's the only thing that stands out to me. And (laughs) it's like, oh, they're kind of putting it on for that. And I know it's part of it. And and that's not because I'm a Jersey guy. I I curse 24-7. I'm used to that, you know. But I think that was the only thing about the film that read a little bit. Because I, you know, doing years of improv training and going through acting, that's something that your improv instructors always kind of drop on you. It's like, don't go back to... Bathroom jokes, sex jokes, and try not to curse as much. You know, and that was the only thing about that movie that took me out a little bit. But then once the ball really gets rolling, it's just it's just so good.
1: Oh yeah, you're that allowed.
2: You're
0: insane. allowed to curse, and right? you
1: are allowed to curse. <laughs> I,
2: I, didn't it, I didn't ask you before. No. Be uh,
0: no, we always uh, tell people. We're always like, well, the fuck is in the title, so you're you're more than welcome to. Uh... You know, that's well, cool. and that. That
1: brings me back to the movie, too, how like there's, you know, just all the just from the very beginning, how you're like, I got to get all this out <laughs> like before I, you know, I get serious. I got to get all the fucks out and all that out. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That, that was part of it. You know, we just, I, I, you know, I did watch food bloggers and I watched some Instagram influencers or that we liked. Uh, I really like this guy, Mark Weens, who's a food blogger. And I thought that I kind of based a little bit of what Jeff did around Mark Wiens. Uh, you know, Jeff's obviously a little bit more of a, a narcissist, and he's more arrogant than, than Jeff Wings is. You know, we like Casey Nonstat, but we that was one thing that I didn't want to do. And, and I mean, this – a lot of found footage is not scripted. We scripted this completely, except for the food blogging scenes. Those are all improv, and that was us shading it down. But I knew the elements that I wanted to hit, and I knew that I had to go from A to B to C to D in order to tell an effective story. So that was really, you know, they were, it was structured improv, but for me it was all about being succinct. And that's the problem with some fan footage and films in general is that if you can say something in two sentences as opposed to a paragraph or say something in a sentence, you know, that's like masterful writing. And I'm not saying I'm a masterful writer, but the writers that I like and I strive to be like are the ones that are able to, to, to do what a, a average writer would do in a paragraph and condense that into one line so for me it was like let's make this a sink let's make this as tight as possible i want to shave out any extra filler lines i want to shave out the extra cursing i just want to make it streamlined and kind of approachable and even when like you know dustin is dustin and i we 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 tag team wrote this script and that was one thing that we kept circling back to it was like how can we how can we shave this down how can we make this seem like these are just two guys that are really together really having a real conversation that doesn't seem like it's it's actory dialogue trying to get the story across i'm not saying that we accomplished it 100% but in writing that's that's the 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 way that i'm stri- i mean that that's, that's the kind of writing that i respond to one of my favorite films and one of my favorite writers is cormac mccarthy and you know his first screenplay was the counselor have you seen The Counselor?
1: No, no, I haven't. I have not. So
2: The Counselor is some of the uh, best actors of our generation. You know, it's Mike Fassbender, Javier Bardem, Brad Pitt, Cameron Diaz, uh, amazing, uh, you know, Penelope oh, Cruz. I need to watch this uh, movie. A- <laughs> well, it, I, 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 it's, and it's directed I'll by... Write Ricky that Scott. down. <laughs> so you have, like, an absolute, you know, you have Ridley Scott, one of the greatest directors ever live. Oh, yeah.
1: I couldn't agree more.
2: You have so many of these great actors in there, and Cormac McCarthy. You know, he wrote "No Country for Old Men." He wrote oh, the Road. I just, love, I love his writing. Oh my God, "No it. Country
1: for Old Men" is, no I, I can't,
2: I can't,
1: I can't say, say enough about it. Such
2: a, a master class, in what we were talking about as far as like leaving yeah. questions unanswered. Anti- and, and also,
1: that movie it. was horrifying. I would consider that movie, yes. <laughs> that movie. Is-
2: Horrifying. Well, I mean, I, I I've been watching Javier Bardem so much, and he's such uh, a master. He's such a master. But even Josh Brolin in that movie, huh. Emily Jones. But you have, mm. you know, you have the Coen Brothers at the height of their filmmaking. Yeah, you know, they're they're geniuses at the understated simplicity and the understated, you know, and like they're they're writing about this midwestern kind of or this Western kind of American life and just the energy behind everything and the silences in that movie make that movie an absolute masterclass. And every time I watch it, um, it, you get something new from it. But anyway, to go back to The Counselor. So Cormac McCarthy, who is – he wrote the novel for No Country for Old Men, but not the screenplay. The Coen brothers adapted it, but the Coen brothers have been filmmakers since the early 80s. They are absolute geniuses. The Counselor is a beautiful story. It's – but the dialogue in it is paragraph after paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. Now, if I'm reading a novel – That's what I want to see. Right. Film though is about the behavior and it's about those moments in between, and that's where the film, I think, you know, it had the potential to be an absolute master masterpiece, but at least in my opinion, the dialogue in that movie just goes on for a little bit too long, and you, it loses the impact. And when, when you have to explain something through monologues you have know, to explain something by dropping stories on the people as opposed to a film like no country old men no country for old men which is able to do it through just a single visual a single still shot a single look you know uh, that's the difference between a good movie and a film that is genre defining which is what no country for old men is it's absolutely genre defining
1: yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes that can just be a testament to how the movie is shot, the acting. Yeah. Um, And I think too, it goes back to what you said. If people, like I do like to read. I like to read a lot of novels. I like to read novels like that long form novels. But if most people don't, and you're right, that can take a lot of people out of a long form monologue, just depending on their type of movie and how they watch the movie um one thing I wanted to ask because you did touch on this a little bit about Jeff was that you know and that was something that my husband brought up to me later because he's like after we watched it he's like Jeff is so unlikable (laughs) there's there's parts of it where he is so unlikable and you're like was that something that was sort of done on purpose to sort of throw people off towards yeah, the I, end I'm with the dynamic perfect. between it's, him and Andy? It's, it's funny. Um, it's hilarious. Yeah. The,
2: it's because I, you know, I've done a lot. You know, when the film came out, there were a lot of podcasts that came out about this, a lot of podcasts about me and the filmmaking, and we certainly did not make Jeff likable. you know i I think that when you bring in east coast mannerisms and the bluntness you know we wanted to give jeff i wouldn't say that we designed him to be unlikable but he is he honors what he wants for himself right and it's all about him getting this next to the next stages and he doesn't care if he's burning any kind of bridges in there he doesn't care if he's pushing people away it's about him getting it and that is supposed to be the metaphor for the influencer culture that we're yes at, you know where there really isn't like you know i mean jeff and I, these guys are both flawed human beings yes. and that's really what we're trying to show is that they're two sides of the same exact coin they're completely fucked up in their own ways and it's when you have people like that come together what is what happens and we know there's going to be a catalyst at some point and you know we certainly knowing where the movie goes Andy is more sympathetic in the beginning, and you definitely feel pity for him. Yeah, and that's something that I've learned too. Is that it seems like, in in general, like Jeff is punching down at Andy throughout of it, and it's kind of like that. We didn't want we didn't want to do it as hard on where it's like Jeff is like, come on, idiot, and it's not like that, but it's just Jeff's general attitude towards Andy is like, come on, we got to do this, let's get this done, right? We got to get this, you know, blah blah blah. And because I think we identify, we see Andy as being. A simpler guy, you see, Andy as being kind of jovial and just trying to bond. Jeff's directness and brashness towards Andy gets some people perceive it as being super. And you know, this the film's open to interpretation, so I'm glad. You know, a lot of people have. You know, some people are like, we love these guys together. Some people are like, Jeff's such an asshole to Andy. We just love Andy. (laughs) Um, And that's kind of where we wanted to leave it. You know, you can't control how people are going to perceive you and how things get put up and we wanted to show i think over the course of the story you know we we do see at least what we try to do is is have jeff break down a little bit and get easier and easier and easier where at the end he kind of realizes that he's in deep for something and then andy kind of they have that switch where they kind of start on the different sides of the x they meet in the middle and they go to the other sides so then we see the other colors of Andy right um and it's but but again like they are supposed to just be two deeply damaged human beings and it's kind of a metaphor for the for the world that we're living in right now
1: you know I you touching on that in the beginning and I honestly I I kind of liked that sort of like road trip idea you had in the beginning you know because you're right it's just like the world I I like to say to people like we all just kind of lost our minds for half a second like like the world just kind of lost its mind for a second some people got it back and some didn't I was gonna say should we say
0: for just a second because it's still happening
1: there's some that didn't there's some that didn't get it back clearly but um I love that metaphor. I love that because it, it does speak for a lot. And I think that, um, but it you know, kind of going back in how the movie is playing out, that it does sort of throw you off a little bit. And I think the biggest thing though, that I kept coming back to after watching it, um, like the second and then the third time was really, and at the heart of it, uh, these two people don't know each other. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. the whole point of the story is that, which in the beginning is really lighthearted. You know, I um, did one of the ancestry things myself uh, and our family has done it and it's really cool. Didn't didn't find any half brothers or sisters or anything like that. But um, just to learn more, my, my mother passed away some years ago. So just kind of learning more about like her family and stuff like that. Sure, so that- sure the whole like idea of it is really cool, but then like to take it a step farther and you've met like a whole half sibling. And now there's the whole story with the dad and all of that. And it's cool that he's wanting to get to know this half, half sibling, given the circumstances, um, but at the end of the day, and throughout the whole movie, you're like, these are basically two complete strangers. They don't yeah, yeah. they don't know each other. <laughs> like, you don't know, I mean, you know, for well, lack of a better so phrase, you don't know also, each other from Adam.
2: Also, I don't know if you remember this that came out a few years ago. There was a movie that came out called Three Identical Strangers, and it was a documentary, Yeah, which was...
1: Oh which my was God. Good. It was so good. It was... It, yeah, yes. Yeah,
2: yeah. And that... Kind of the impetus of this concept of making them like, you know, uh, Dustin and I know each other. And I think that we bring a certain kind of chemistry on on screen together. Oh, of course. Like we have that rapport. And that was something that we decided with Jeff and Andy where it's like, you know, they do have this awkward rapport. They are kind of connected in some way. They're they're on this tightrope together, even though they don't know each other. But, yeah, it's true. It's like. You know, it's like, and that's also like all this crap of like online dating and all these things. It's all a metaphor for that kind of stuff, too. Whereas we develop these like intimacies with people real fast, but we don't really know the people, you know? It's like, right, especially with like dating this day and age, too. It's, I have found like I've lived in big cities for the past 10 years. Um, for the most part, though, like you, I feel like everyone is craving some sort of connection in, like, the old-fashioned way. And with the start of, like, all these dating apps and all these things, it's so easy to go out and just kind of, like, pretend you have some kind of deep connection, but you don't really know who those people are. And the phase of things goes away. It's like you're left with, like, well, wait, this is kind of (laughs) weird, you know? And I have... You know, I think Jim Jim Cummings is one of my favorite filmmakers. Yes. you know, do Thunder Road and the Beta Test, and that's what the Beta Test kind of really drops on, is that. But in Three Identical Strangers, to go back to that, I think it's such a good, you know, it's like they take three triplets, they put one in a a very modest lower-class family, one in a middle-class family, and one in an extremely affluent family. Yes. And they reconnect 30 years later, and... They are all have the same similarities, but the one that grew up in the upper class family, of course, has a much different way of viewing the world and seeing things. And the brother that grew up in the family that was impoverished had, you know, ends up committing suicide. Yes. And it, and the concept is like, is it nature versus nurture? I mean, what what defines depression? What defines the ways people's outlook is in the world? And that's something that we did with Jeff and Andy, you know, where Jeff got the better end of the stick. Jeff is living in the nice house. Jeff is able to be an Instagram influencer and not have to worry about doing the day-to-day work where we see Andy, you know, and that's when we see Jeff. We first meet Jeff at the nice house. That's a metaphor. When we see Andy, he's at the broken house. That's also a metaphor for the film. You know, it's like we want to see these people at the broken spots and it's like the imagery of she, of seeing Andy in front of the dilapidated house and the dilapidated car. That's just who, you know, that's just showing like what his life was. And that was what his childhood was. And, but in the same way, like they, they are connected because they share the father and there, there is some kind of kindred spirit there. And and who knows? Like they, if I'm sure if they were true brothers in the sense, you know, That that's they would not the story wouldn't turn out the way the story turns out, and I you know it's it's a we when we wrote this though we we didn't want to I I don't think you know for us that like Andy has any kind of weird agenda when the film starts right you know I think that he is truly making himself accessible and wants to be liked and he's doing what he craves which is getting love and he wants to be loved and he has deep abandonment issues, and he's living in kind of Scott Waller. And Jeff is the same way. Jeff is doing, he wants to be loved, and that's the core of the film for both these guys. Jeff wants to be loved in like this influencer way and get a show off the road and have attention on him, where Andy just wants to be loved in an interpersonal way. So again, it's just going back to like the core of these people. They're the same. They want the same things. They're not able to get it. How do they respond to the way that they're not able to get it? the, their, their goals of what they actually want.
1: I am so glad you mentioned that. Um, if any of our listeners haven't seen Three Identical Strangers, I highly recommend watching it. It is, and uh, you, not to give like a ton of it away, but then you also find that there's like this link that they were possibly a part of these, like ex- these weird experiments. And there was a reason why they were, they, they were, they, they they were placed they like that. That is so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story, but it, it is heartbreaking, but it really is worth watching. And now, um, I, I, I want to go back and watch it because now with you saying that having the influence on the movie, I can totally see that because you do have these completely, I mean, I'm even thinking back to the scene when Andy makes him, uh, god awful spaghetti
0: and that then, was hilarious that
1: was so there are so many elements in this movie that are so funny like even if they're not trying to be funny and i think that it adds to the fact that um you know watching it it's like you guys you guys aren't like you know this isn't like brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio trying to do a found footage movie (laughs) where everybody knows who they are so it's like it totally gives it away you know what i mean like you believe like andy and jeff are real guys you're really watching this you're really putting this whole thing together of the two of them and andy kind of like trying to impress jeff you know the scene where he's like uh, I got something to show you and he shows him this water tower like it's the coolest, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's the coolest thing ever. You know, like <laughs> just that yeah, just well, that whole scene that is
2: so funny. That, you know, we, we want, I mean, you know, we did put a little gloss on the film and not gloss in like the way, you know, but we, you know, we, we did not just want to make this like this. It ha- There has to be some kind of levity and some kind of humor, you know. Yes. And so like that's my kind of humor too. Just like the offbeat joke, like the the drop of the spaghetti. You know, East Coast people, I think, I, I had this conversation from recently in California. East Coast people show love by bickering and kind of being demonstrative and kind of tearing other people down. Yes. That's just the way that East Coasters handle things. You know, my friends, when we get into a group, a room. It's just people making fun of people for six yes. hours. That's what my family dinners were, just people jabbing at other people. And anyone else from outside of that that world doesn't get that love. But that's how East Coasters bond and show love. So I think that the behavior sometimes is a little bit more triggering to people who don't express themselves in that way. But we wanted to make them true to, like, the East Coast mentality of bonding that way. And for me, that's where some of the humor came out, too, where it's like Jeff is just, like, Jeff does say some ridiculous things, and he's trying to – he's trying to – give Andy the platform that he wants, but it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, come on, dude, you know? And, like, but that's just kind of an East Coast mentality, so I had to kind of, you know, honor the, the roots of of what, uh, of, of just East Coast, East Coast points of view.
1: And how you grew up, and the people, yeah. Exactly. The- like,
2: you know, I, I remember, my, one of my first girlfriends I dated was from Seattle, and talking about Polar opposites, people from Seattle and people from, uh, you know, New Jersey express themselves in 100 and an exact 180 degrees polar opposite. And that is that was so apparent, um, you know, when we were dating and like the way that I would approach things that stressed me out and bothered me. And I had to really learn. I was like, well, maybe I need to show the fuck out for a second. You yeah, <laughs> know, and, You know, learn that, though, when you're in this isolated bubble of life while we're in East Coast world, you know, and, you know, that's also like the tri-state area is hands down the most tense place in the world around, you know, North Jersey, New York, around that. It's just it's constant traffic. People are just like, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. It's just a different rhythm than anywhere else. And I was just talking to a friend, but moving to L.A., it takes you eight to 10 minutes to get a cup of coffee and a Starbucks. In New York, if it took 10 minutes to get a cup of coffee, you would lose your shit and you would just throw a temper tantrum. And if <laughs> you behave that way out here, people look at you as if you're just like an absolute goon, you know? And you have to kind of, like, it's just different ways of life. It's different life pacing for people. And that was, it's been eye opening to me. You know, obviously, like, you know, I've since but for you know up until college up until i was like 20 i and i I grew up in the florida keys and i grew up in new jersey okay and it was just a different vibe and i didn't travel west too much i was a swimmer so i traveled around the country but it was i was still with all east coast people but then after getting out of school i lived in london for a little bit and then i you know have been uh mostly in New York City. So it's living in other cities and seeing the pace of life and seeing how people um are a little bit less tense is yeah. has been good. You know, and it's like just part of like the 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 journey that we take as human beings to like, all right, like, you know, the things that that served me, um that 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 served me when I was um younger don't necessarily serve me the same way now
1: uh very true i could not agree with that more as as i'm approaching 40 (laughs) you find like yeah things are entirely different in your in your 20s than they are 100 i mean i'm about to turn 34 in
2: january so i you know and i in some ways i feel like this year has been like you know, since I, I just moved to LA with a few, with a few projects and then I've been, you know, working out here in, in film, but uh, I feel like in some ways I've taken like steps back to where I'm like, I feel like I'm like 25 again, in right. some ways I've taken giant leaps forward and that's, you know, I feel like we're never, ever like in this industry, in this world, like living on firm ground or solid ground, you know, um, and, but it's, uh, that's kind of exciting it's been like this great experience to re-examine, the things about me that I um, that I like that serve me, and to see things that don't serve me. And I was just—I'm not a super spiritual person or into astrology, but I—I I have this uh, amazing guy that cuts my hair out here, Andy. And Andy's this older middle-aged guy, and uh, but he just has this really—I um, don't know—quiet, calm demeanor. And I was th- I went through a crazy, a crazy um, past two months. Uh, it started off, I, you know, I um, had a, a close severance of a friend who, I, who we kind of cut off ties for a little bit because it was just not healthy for us to be friends. Uh, I left one job and I shot a film, which I was really happy about. But as soon as that I ran, to, I had to go get like a quick job afterwards. And then that's not working out. As soon as I wrapped the film, I found out that a very close family member committed suicide. And then immediately that night, something happened to my living situation where I was forced to find a new apartment within like seven hours. So I had to like immediately move and dive into somewhere else. I just met someone who I am like, so, you know, I'm in kind of like a new relationship with someone, but like, I just am I'm so like excited about it. It's crazy, you know. It's I don't know. It's I mean, I, it's weird to say, but I just like am totally taken by this person. And I said this to Andy, and he goes, "Well, how old are you?" And he goes, are you 33." And I said, "Yeah, how do you know that?" And he said, oh, "That's called your Christ year, and it's in astrology, and it's like you basically all these things that, and like this year truly." I've also left so many multiple jobs and situations of things that I've just been like, this is not for me. Yeah. And I have done that in the past, but I'm like, I'm taking away things that don't serve me. And he said to me, he's like that my 33 year old is like when you're 33, you kind of go through this like rebirth where you drop out of things of things that like you don't care about. You shave away the stuff that doesn't matter. And it's like a year of strong personal growth. So I don't really know, like, if I'm having a lot of strong personal growth. I know I've been through a lot this year, and I know that I'm in a much different place than when the year started, you know, where I am now. There's been so many changes. In some ways, it's a little bit intimidating because I feel a little bit ungrounded. But in some ways, I also am not, like, stressed about it. So, and, But this guy broke it down for me, and it's just, you know, I feel like that that's part of the uh, – you know, it's part of, like, growing pains and, you know, moving to new cities. And, you know, I knew a lot of – you know, I did a lot of TV out of New York. But in L.A., I have – I don't have the same level of, uh, you know, like, industry connection that I did in New York, which is why I came out here too. But I have been fortunate enough. You know, I shot actually two great horror films out here recently. One just got – is. I'm not supposed to say this, but one just got sold to, like, Lionsgate and Stars, which is going to be huge. Then I shot one last month, which I'm really excited about, and I get to play a similar character to Jeff in a way, where it's basically Cabin in the Woods, set in the Hollywood elite, and I play kind of like the main antagonist, where I'm this real kind of skeezy, pervy <laughs> director going after the, uh, you know, one of the, the main girls in it, and I had such a blast on the shoot, so... You know, I don't know. It's, it's been it's been an interesting year, to say the least. And uh, it's not done yet. So let's we'll see what happens.
1: I know, man. Like that's uh, well, first of all, our condolences to your loss. Um, and, you. Uh, you know, I'm I totally get it. I we're both very spiritual people. And I think I'm obsessed that with astrology. I'm yes. <laughs> and we're both kind of, you know, I it's kind of interesting that you say that. I went through probably some of the most life changing things around 33 and now the last 5 years have just been kind of like getting better and better and better and better and I'm like you know a few hiccups along the way life happens but you know kind of on this trajectory where I'm like hey <laughs> I like how I like how this is going things are kind of uh things are kind of lining up the r- the right way and um that's awesome man I I mean especially well, like that, with these movie I mean, projects I mean, too you know, that I, is I really awesome
2: talk to John Bernthal, you know, and Shia said something, he's like,
1: yes, I no watched that cool. whole interview, that was, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but that whole interview was incredible, and I've met, well, we've both actually met John Bernthal, Absolutely and uh, yeah, awesome guy. Well,
2: I, I, I've cut you off so many times, so please. You're don't totally don't <laughs> uh, But, uh, you know, I, I think that what Shia LaBeouf said on that was great, it's like, I know things are going to be okay, and if they're not, it's not done yet. And yes. I think that that's, that's a good way to live by. And it's so hard in this, especially in the world that we're living in now, because, you know, we're all going through it. We're all, everyone's going through some kind of time where we're feeling like, ah, uh, you know, like, where's the light in the tunnel? Yes. And that is, I think, a good reminder that, you know, like, there always is, there always is a new day. And I've realized, you know, things that I was devastated over, you know, life things that have happened, relationships that have ended. In the end, they always kind of serve you and they lead you to a different path. And we don't always see like the guidance of the signs at the time. We don't always see where, you know, like the end picture, but you don't necessarily have to. And I, it, maybe it's just a healthier way to cope with changes, but it's hard for me. To, I'm a Capricorn. So it's hard for me to give up control. It's hard for me to kind of give over to some other kind of feeling. I've been better at, though, of being like, these things are not for me and they're not serving me. So letting that go and seeing where what comes out of, you know, putting yourself in a bad, like getting yourself in a bad situation for yourself or letting, you know, what we perceive at the time be a bad event, but in, A year down the road you're like oh that actually did something better for me you know it's something that we that i need to get better at accepting and i think that this has been a this year has been a lesson a lesson in that
0: brett let me tell you something i am 29 i am a baby i am i know i am a child (laughs) (laughs) um i will be 30 next (laughs) i will be 30 next year um last June? I guess June 2021. Um, Yeah, we're in 2022. I was like, what year are we in right now? Good lord. June of 2021 something happened to me where me and Becky have been pretty close for a while. About eight years now. And um, back in June of 2021 I was in a relationship with someone who was a complete narcissist. um, And once everything happened with her, I genuinely was like, I need therapy. Now, Becky had been on my ass. She was like, I know you'll do it when you're ready, but I'm telling you therapy is going to be a great thing for you and you should go into that. For a
1: lot of people, it can be.
0: So I think it was all July, maybe end of July, August, I started therapy last year and I was like, I'm going to change my life for me. Everything you said, like, I'm going to get rid of things that aren't good for me. I'm going to do things that are right for me. I'm going to focus on myself. And in the last year, the way things have completely turned upside down. um, In a good way. In a a fantastic way. Um, (laughs) Wonderful. I met my partner that I've been with for almost a year now, last year, and it's been the most healthy relationship I've ever been in. Um, I got a new job that I work from home completely. It is my bosses are incredible. They treat me like an actual human being and I actually feel like they genuinely care about me. And something else huge just happened 3 days ago. Yeah. <laughs> um basically I made the biggest purchase of my entire life 3 days ago. So um things are like very like you talking about how when you actually turn your life to doing things for you and focusing on yourself and letting go everything like the universe is like okay here's everything you've ever wanted and right. you're like i'm i'm not ready wait <laughs> yeah so like i just wanted to tell you like always do that always try to i'm the kind of person i'm a taurus the control thing that I have is a lot to do with a lot of my childhood. But every single time I let go, something happens. Yeah. Every yeah. single time I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to try to control the situation anymore. I'm just going to let this go. And then all of a sudden something huge happens. And it's always a good thing. And I'm like, seriously? And the universe is like, I'm telling you, you're supposed to let go. Let go. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, it's 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 so... That's so true. It's like giving up and letting go. And, you know, I remember even when I was like, when I was younger, I, I was devastated. I, I just wanted to go to NYU for acting and I was swimming um, and I didn't end up getting into NYU. And I remember being so devastated. And I did like a tarot reading before, you know, and I, I basically this cards were like, well, you're not going to get here, you're going to go somewhere else. And in hindsight, it was the best thing that ever could happen. To and I had so many good experiences come <laughs> out of the place that I went to, you know, but at the time you can't see the forest through the trees. I think that it's always a lesson that there, you know, you don't, and I don't necessarily know if I believe in like a higher power in that way, but I do believe in like universal energy and being yes, guided towards. Yes. And I, I, that's the, the concepts that I align with. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I, I do feel like that we have to kind of, like, we're always kind of given doorways to go through, and then it's up to us to choose to walk through the doorway. Very and, true. like, it's yep. the opportunities get presented. They're not necessarily, you know, like red flags, where it's like you see something, you're like, oh, this is an opportunity. But you are the person that makes the choice. And,. You know, when we're not ready for things, we don't make the choice that's right for us. But then, when we are ready for something, given the opportunity, and we make the right choice, we walk. Like, you you just walk through the door, and it's not always like a cognizant thing. I don't think it's like even that that um, extreme. But it's when your body's finally ready for something, you just innately make the choice to do something for yourself or serve yourself. And I think that that's part of like the growth of, of what we go through in that, you know, when we're not ready for something, we don't make the right choice. We keep ourselves in a repressed position. We keep ourselves in in situations that don't serve us. We keep ourselves in, um, in a, in a safer box. And when we're finally ready to, you know, Jim Carrey always talks about depression being like an avatar and that it's our body saying, you know, the world, like we're – Jim Carrey, you know, he says it's like av- like our when we're depressed, it's our body being like I'm tired of putting this character out into the world. And it's like we want to serve a different message. And I think that when we're ready to – like when we're ready to evolve and grow, we innately make the choice that's right for us without it being like a conscious decision. And I think that that's the hardest thing this day and age is because like we're faced with so many – different things kind of keeping us down and then uh you know as far as like even like day-to-day things now are difficult you know everything's so expensive i'm out here i'm spending seven dollars a gallon on gas food costs are crazy it's like so many things are kind of playing against you and to i think it's kind of like not necessarily by design to keep us in like this socioeconomic or this kind of like strange thing but it, it does kind of give you like an extra weight of things to juggle around and to to stay true to yourself when the world around you in some ways is kind of burning and to do what's right for you i think it takes a lot of courage and it's not always easy but when we're ready to step into the versions of ourselves that we aspire to become i think we just do it without you know without second guess if that makes any sense (laughs)
0: No, it totally does. Um, This has been a great therapy session. I'm telling you, you know what, though?
1: (laughs) That's the great thing about our podcast is a lot of times we, you know, (laughs) we are more horror based. But, you know, you kind of you got to you got to veer left a little bit yeah, and kind I, of throw I, I some stuff
0: entirely, out there.
2: Entirely, entirely no, and you we, totally totally and we always, we
0: should have told you this actually before we even started, but we're very laid back. We're very, have a conversation with our cup of coffee. We find you know? a way to do it. And it <laughs> always,
1: it always works out. And it seems to, it, it seems to be where we gathered most of our audience because we do that. People really appreciate the kind of
0: yeah.
1: laid backness of it a little bit. Um, one, one quick thing I did want to ask to kind of circle back to the film, because this is always something I'm, um, well, Casper is as well, but, uh, huge cinephile, especially when it gets to, and, you know, um, we went into that a little bit when you're like paying attention to certain writers you'll gravitate to and directors you'll gravitate to and little things within the filmmaking process that you'll learn about that are like, wow, that's really interesting. Um, One thing in particular, because, you know, the majority of the film is done in, in the car, you guys are driving around because of the, you know, the concept of the film and you're supposed to be filming at these various restaurants and whatnot and trying the food. One thing that I wanted to ask, because I happened to know, I didn't notice this until after the, the second time and third time that I watched it was, um, the music, because you did bring that up about not shooting in the rest, the one restaurant, because there was so much of the music yeah. playing and you don't want to deal with all the licensing. And I, I have listened to a few podcasts and where you're just like, Oh my God, I had no idea to get rights to even like five minutes of this or two seconds yeah. of this song is so expensive. <sighs> um, some of the music that is playing on the radio uh, is that, cause I, I happened to see that in the end credits of the film that it was, One particular band was this a band that you knew, or was this somebody? Okay, Uh, awesome, awesome.
2: Give a shout out to all my musicians, too the people that worked on the film. But that band is Matt DeBrow and the Captives. Yes, most of it. Matt Matt DeBrow is this amazing guy who I went to school with. He's a bluegrass musician. He's a great actor. I I knew that he had such a fun funky voice, and I've always liked Matt. And I I said, "Listen, dude, I got this. Can you just write me a fun song for the end?" So the first song that he wrote was the song "Family," which plays at the end of the. I family. love it. it like, that song was oh, great. No, you can't pick your family. I mean, I can't sing like Matt. It's and it's heard,
1: well, and it's perfect for the film too. It's so I mean,
2: I, yeah, He wrote that for us. And then when I was when we sold the film and we got distribution, we got hit with all these things where I was like, "Oh crap." We don't have the rights to these. These were licensed in Australia because my sound designers in Australia. How do I get the rights over here? I called Matt. I said, listen, man, I will give you, you know, it's like I want to take care of you. We'll do, what can we have access to your catalog of songs? He said, no problem. So all the songs in there for the most part are all Matt DeBrow. The opening song I was so upset about. The first song we wanted to use was this kind of weird bluegrass funky song that was not Matt's. And Matt has this song called Ghosts. And for me, it's just the perfect way to open it. It's a metaphor. The song, it goes like you're living with ghosts in this house of stone. And it's just perfect for the history for Jeff and Andy. It just has the exact tone that I want. We threw that in there. Um, The other band that contributed was my friend Jerome Schuler. Went to school with him also. Amazing musician down in Atlanta. His band is Molly and the Pineapples. E. Jerome is is a mess, and his song we used in the finale when Jeff is driving away from the house at the end before I don't want to say anything, but before stuff happens, right? And yep, it's like this kind of upbeat hip hop beat, and I think for me it's just kind of like it is brings out a lot of tension, it brings out a lot of of the energy for it, and I use that. Ultimately, I had some other options from Jerome and. For the sake, for the quality of movie that we were doing, his music is a little bit too sexy and sleek. So that's the only one I could use from him, where Matt had a little bit of kind of like the... I mean, when I listen to Matt's music, I think of Andy. You know, you yes. think of like, that's the world that it's from. And But those are the guys that I used, and they came in last minute clutch and saved me. Nice. And I'm so, and I'm so grateful for them.
1: Yeah, I, I had to ask, because I noticed... You know, I I noticed a lot of like kind of similarities to certain songs, and then the song playing over the end credits I loved so much. I was like, "This is such a great song," and it really does. It really fits. I mean, I think even
2: that was I I love that song, and that just shows how much of a verbal wordsmith Matt is, and he's able to to you know, and it it just fit perfectly. I mean, he watched the movie, and he he wrote that for us. Nice. So, you know, after knowing the stuff and I said, basically, I was like, this movie, man, it's a roller coaster. <laughs> and I knew that if we left on a sour note, you know, because the film ends on a sour note, that people would kind of leave and it would be like, "Huh." we do want them to remember the fun that was had during the movie. You know, where Jeff is kind of joking with Andy, where there is a chance of them to, to really come out the other side of this in a happy way. And I said, Matt, I want the roller coaster ride to take off, where people don't leave on an end note. Give me something fun. That's what he came back with, and I was like, This is it's 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 absolute gold, you know. And uh, I think it's the best way that we could have ended the movie. And I and I, I had that realization. I was like in the car with Dustin. I was like, How are we going to end this during the credits? And then we were both like, Let's call Matt. Matt's a great musician. Originally, it was going to be maybe. Dustin also sings. Oh, okay. So it was possibly Dustin singing a song, and we had Bad Eye Concept. But w- once I heard Matt's voice again and listened to his band stuff, I was like, "There's th- this. This is the guy," and I'm so glad that he lends me his talents.
1: Um, I did want to say, you know, real real quick before we let you go, I personally really loved the ending. Yes. And I think that what really sort of set it in motion for me really enjoying the way it ended was sort of the climax in the hotel room Mm -hmm. when you're in the town. Because at that point, and again, like I said, watching it with my husband, like watching a movie through a different set of eyes was really interesting because that that scene and i think for like most people that watch the film was kind of like the cat like kind of the catalyst because at that point even though there were elements of jeff that were unlikable but it's like gotta respect the hustle because you know he he wants to make it this means so much to him you do sort of have these parts where you're like andy's kind of weird (laughs) like you know andy has grown up in a certain situation but there are elements of andy where you're like yo this dude is. There's something kind of, I don't know, and yeah. then...
2: Well, that, that really, you know, like, that really is the turning point, and actually, right. shot at, you know, that, that was not an easy scene to shoot, as far as the driving and the running around and figuring that out. There's actually multiple shots in there that I made look like a single-take shot in editing. Wow, I mean, okay. We broke, that, we, we, we broke that scene down into three different shots. And it's all choreographed, but, you know, basically from the start when the camera comes on and he goes to him in the shower to the end when Jeff is driving away, you know, it, it looks like it's a single-take shot, but there is four – there's three or four shots that are mixed in there. And I remember doing that, and I remember putting it together, and that's when we were like – you know, even when we were doing this, we didn't know what wings we were going to have under this, but it was like the this is – there are some wings to this project and that was kind of like the slice where I was like, All right, we have something here. Let's let let's finish this up. That that could be the scene that I'm I mean, I think I think the finale is the same thing. That looks like a single take shot. That's five or six shots that are put together. Oh wow. Okay. I, I think that the end of that is my favorite scene in the movie you know from like editing and directing and putting it together but i really do love that that hotel scene and that i'm very happy with the way that that turned out
1: oh my you know and especially from a guy's point of view my husband was like oh i would have totally punched him in the face (laughs) (laughs) like like i am naked
0: dude (laughs) like I'm, I'm gonna, like, you. I'm, I'm punching you in the face. Oh, when he opened yeah, yeah, I was no, wondering what was it's, about it's, to happen when he opened the door while he was in the shower. I was like, what is going to happen right yeah, now? Yeah. Well,
2: we wanted to, that's what we tried to do. You know, we were trying to sprinkle in all the weirdness. We know that this dude's a little bit fucking weird. We don't yeah. know how it is. And then when it comes out there it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And, uh, y- you know, and I y- it kind of starts when. Andy says the line. He's like, don't leave me Jeff. And we know, but like, you know, we, we drop in the sprinkles in like the first hotel scene when Andy films him late at night. Yes. And, it's kind of weird outburst. and like, we try to litter it in, but that's really the, uh, the catalyst turning point to learn it's like, what is, what, what is really happening here.
1: And that obviously something, and, and again, we don't want to give away the ending because there, there, there is this whole climactic thing. And because it is mentioned throughout, um, both of yours father and how that whole thing because but there is so much sprinkled throughout where you know andy will push jeff's buttons jeff will fire back at him and then he's like oh man i'm sorry and then he's like it's okay dude and then he's like was your dad abusive (laughs) you're like where the hell did that come from
2: they both gaslight each other yes yes big time you know, I like the potential for violence is always there, but I don't think Andy starts wanting that. Right. It's just that uh, there's the elephant in the room constantly of the father. And yes. And that was something that we tried to, to bring in, and like, you know, the watch and you know, all the symbolism of the watch. Yes. Trying to keep that risk. And at the end, you know, he puts on Jeff's watch when he's sitting in the chair, and he's kind of taking charge. So that was all, you know, even if it's not a, a parent's, you know, in some viewings, like that. that was all by design that we put into the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, they're, like I said, they're, you know, we, I didn't want people to know who the bad guy really is.
1: That, yeah, that's perfect. And
2: they both have some kind of, some kind of, weirdness to them and it could go either way you know the way the ending happens it could be flipped easily or the other thing you know and it's just the way that by circumstance it turned out the way that it did but they're both they both have the same potential to for the violence that ensues. I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, it. I, yeah, because there really was
0: more. no. I wasn't like Andy was the villain. I wasn't like Jeff was the villain. I'm like they both technically were the villain. There was no. There. there I think was the no dad movie. was the villain. The da- yeah. The, the dad, dad was, was the
1: villain. The dad was the, villain. <laughs> <laughs> the, dad was the actual villain. Yeah. I think if anybody can agree collectively at the end of the movie, the dad is the real villain. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's usually, it goes back to the dad. We'll blame it all on him. (laughs) Yeah.
1: We'll blame it. We'll blame it all on the dad, you know? And I, I, I think that's the last few minutes of the movie. I I think after the whole hotel thing where everything just starts to fall off the rails is just the best. I, I personally loved it. I I just thought everything from, from that point on, as it's going, it does take on this, like literally till the very end, I think even within the last like 10 minutes, it does take on this like I'm saying, "What the fuck!" Like every five seconds till the very
2: end of the movie.
0: <laughs> One thing about found footage yeah, movies, I have for
2: me that was also the. I mean, that's I, I agree that like once that roller coaster takes off and we're on that ride, for me that's where it all really comes together. And that's what I, that's what I'm most happy with. So I'm glad that that resonated with you, and it, it means a lot that you uh, you liked it.
0: One thing about found footage movies that I have always found. Is that last fifteen minutes of oh. a found footage movie can if make it's, or break? It. If it's oh oh because, make or break, yes. Because once yes. every yes. time you watch a found footage movie, nine times out of ten, the first hour and a half or however long after the first hour is nothing. It's kind of like it's setting up the it's story. It's setting up, it's the, setting story, up, story. up the whole. You're, you're like okay, okay. This is I got and, it. And then you know it. you get past that hour and you're like, all right, what are yeah. you gonna do to bring this all to fruition? Yes. Because like found footage movies are like that, and I have to say. Brett, you did a great job with the end of this film because it really did. It kept me completely engaged. I love. I was on the edge of my seat. Like, what's gonna happen? Who's gonna kill who? Like, what? What's gonna go on? And you really did make the last ten minutes of that movie fantastic.
2: And it. Well, I, abs- I, I, I really appreciate that, and, and I'm glad. It and, really uh, made the, the movie. Difference. You know, we basically shot in chronological order too, and like I said, oh, like nice. it was a learning curve. And, you know, we, we it was absolutely a learning curve to get there. And had I have known starting the film, you know, what I knew at the end of the film, I, I might have done some things differently, but that's part of the process. So now I'm just more equipped for the next thing that I do. And I have those lessons in me. So I, I'm I'm ready to go. Ladies, I, I I do not want to cut this short. I'm having such a good time talking to
0: you. No, I no, have you're so okay.
2: Major audition that I have to take soon. <laughs> you are
0: totally
1: fine. You are perfectly fine. This is a great way to end it. This is the perfect way to end it. We were wanting to keep it at about an hour and a half, and this is perfect. Brett, thank you so much. Yes. Good thank luck you. to everything thank you so else much you've for got going on
2: thank you for being patient with me oh of course dealing with my schedule but uh i would love to come back on your show so this was it was such a great chat to have and such a great way to start in the morning please yes please we would love to have you back thank you good
1: luck with your audition we really appreciate it thank you for everything Thank you so
2: much both of you i'll talk to you soon thank you all right again please please send me the podcast when it comes out definitely we'll do that absolutely thanks brett thank you thank you so much i'll talk to you soon okay Bye -bye. Bye bye
0: what an absolute guys
1: sweetheart. what an that absolute was awesome
0: sweetheart. we
1: hope you enjoyed it another incredible interview in the bag that was so awesome um brett lot up we couldn't appreciate it even more guys please wow. if you haven't already or just watch it multiple times like i did um just watch, watch it <laughs> again and again and again and maybe a- especially all this like you know stuff we threw shout out to Hing's Turkey Farm and if Ugh. we ever happen to go to Jersey we are definitely next stopping time there because I go to that Massachusetts food, that, food I will looked, make, that food looks so
0: good listen food next, food, next time we go to Massachusetts so or when I go I will specifically make an absolute Same. out of the way trip I might have to tell my husband <laughs> when we go to Buffalo New York like how far is New Jersey from here
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's connected isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. but we're going to be like on the other end uh, right? but I mean it might be worth it for that Just sandwich. a whole for another that eight hours whatever. for that
0: sandwich. I'm going to drive eight hours for that sandwich. Yes. <laughs> 100 <laughs> for fucking cent. That was awesome. Guys, please watch the Andy Baker tape. Please support
1: it. Um, it's pretty much streaming everywhere. Amazon. We watched it on Tubi. Uh, also, follow on all the social medias because it is winning a lot of yep. awards. I, I follow them on Instagram and they're so... It's, it's won a ton of screening awards and i hope more people enjoy it if it is a real found footage gem it really 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 is
0: i have a feeling this is one of those movies that might go the hell house route where like everyone kind of talks about it in randomness
1: i'm hoping and then
0: all of a sudden people are like
1: oh my god i'm hoping this is
0: amazing and i'm like welcome
1: to the trip (laughs) <laughs> Listen, that was that was me with Brave Encounters. I feel like it took me a
0: thousand years to finally watch that, and when I did, I was like, um, "This movie." That's how I felt about Brave <laughs> Encounters too. Oh my god! It took me so. forever to because I'm always so iffy about found footage sequels. Okay, I just. I worry. Both of us. But Grave Encounters 2 was fucking great. So I think the reason why I appreciated the sequel so much is that the cast
1: was so unlikable. And <laughs> I feel like, and they did that on purpose. That's what was so great is you realize like, oh, that th- listen, this was all done on purpose because they're supposed to die anyway, because it's like a sacrifice. To I'm them. never
0: mad about found footage films making me not like the characters. Never. Because nine times out of 10, they'll die mad. anyway. So. And how did
1: like everybody forget Chris Hemsworth was in Cabin in the Woods? I'm pretty sure a lot of people. I did. feel like that happened. I also completely forgot. He mentioned um, the sequel to Ble- I I forgot that movie even happened. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, and, but in he was, my mind. Like, it was Heather's brother, remember? It was she totally talked an about alien the I don't whole even, time. He made it sound like him and his I don't sister know what were, that were so close.
1: I don't know what that And I'm movie like, was.
0: when she goes through her list of apologies, <clears throat> there's not a brother. No. She didn't give a shit. Was about this an you. Andy Baker? <laughs> he was actually a half sibling.
1: It's dad's guys and two. If you if when you watch it, especially at the very end, you will get why we blame the fault. dad. We totally. It is totally the dad's fault. Dad is the villain <laughs> of the movie. fucking great movie. Um, I guess
0: we'll do a promo real quick for calm your body down. Real and quick then, though, next yeah. week. Um, we are going to be talking about henry charles good god the doll wait robert whatever generic
1: name many haunted dolls robert the doll whatever generic name robert the doll in i believe fort myers florida i believe that's where he is is, where he is yes
0: so we have actually mentioned him great
1: great great shock doc on discovery plus that we are going to be referencing a lot but um
0: Robert the doll has been featured on many different things. Yeah, uh, Ghost Adventures yes. is a huge one. Um, but we have never we've talked about him in passing, but we haven't actually sat down and talked about you know where the doll came from. You know the his, basically an Annabelle episode, there's a, but it's about some
1: wild crazy about this
0: doll. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about that next week. Um, looking forward to doing that because this doll is. You think Annabelle's crazy? You hold on to your ass yeah just wait um and then before we go through all of our socials a word from our sponsor Come your body down Bing. guys the
1: sale will be on this week um as we speak it will be uh tuesday that the sale will be up on the etsy shop It will be 25% off until the end of the year on everything. The Snowman Bath Bombs will be up as well. And um, on all the socials, it's Calm Your Body Down on Etsy. Uh, There will not be a promo code. Just everything will be 25% off and free shipping through the end of the year. So please buy um, and show your support. Uh, Shop small
0: this holiday season. Calm your body down. All right, guys. Um, is there anything else we need to go over before the social? I think we
1: got it all. Thanks again, we get Brett. A okay. For everything, yes. please
0: watch the Andy Baker tape and um, yes, I'm yes, back next yes. week. Thank you Robert so D'O. much, Brett. You were an absolute peach. So sweet. Uh, loved hearing all this. Very much story time. I definitely loved the awesome. story time. Also, watch Real Willow Creek
1: if nobody. Yeah. that
0: yeah. We've mentioned Willow. I'm Creek actually right I need to
1: watch, watch it again. <laughs> Because it's so been good. a while, and that is an incredible
0: movie. Because because something last night happened. I went to my cousin's for a friend's giving, and something was yes. mentioned about Bigfoot. And then we're talking about Willow Creek today, and I'm like, "Y'all get me in this it's Bigfoot all mood
1: coming around." So
0: I'm gonna watch Bigfoot movies yes. today. That's what's gonna happen. All right, guys. Well, our socials were all on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All at DFWTO Podcast. Handle DFWTO8811. If you have any questions, concerns, want to say hey, please email us at dfwto8493 at gmail.com. And also, we are on uh, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iTunes. Please give us a follow and subscribe. You'll always know when we do things like this where we have to put out an episode on a different day. And you'll always know the cool things that are happening. We will be doing a sale in December for the for the merch um my mind is absolutely fried right now due the big things going on so december is going to be my goal to hit that um but looking very forward to that it'll be a great christmas presents for yeah, shop small more. this holiday um bath bombs t-shirts mugs all of the money goes right back yeah. into the podcast so hopefully we'll get to do a whorehound one year and Aunt, um I almost called him andy
1: <laughs> and <laughs> i kept Brett- calling jeff good
0: night my name is jeff it
1: took I was like, don't don't call him Jeff. Please and Brett,
0: him. if you ever get a chance and you're in the area, you should really come to Horror Hound. Yes. There's a big convention that happens here in Sharonville yes. and it's also one in Indianapolis. We would love to come meet you in person. Yes. Um So Please. just throwing that out there. Just throwing Horror Hound Film Festival. Let's
1: <laughs> maybe you know, sh- let's throw something out there to Horror Hound to maybe put uh Andy Baker tape on the film festival next year. They usually only
0: do new stuff, though. Like new, new, like people that haven't shown their film. Well, I mean, <laughs> it,
1: you know, 2020 didn't happen technically. So it really it's didn't. It's
0: new. It's new. So there you go. It's new. Anyway, okay, guys. <laughs> we have a great evening. Have a wonderful holiday. Yes. Enjoy time off work Happy or whatever turkey you day do. And if you're chilling by yourself, that's cool too. You know, have a beer, watch some horror movies this one um it's my hub's birthday so we're very excited he's turkey baby so (laughs) turkey baby that's funny all right guys well be safe out there and remember don't don't fuck fuck with with the original. original bye